All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Let us open the inspired scriptures to Romans chapter 5. These are some of the best verses in Romans. I do not want to leave them hurriedly. I want to exhaust them for your benefit. I hope that the Lord has led us far enough that we would take more delight in these first five verses than in Romans chapter 9. The doctrine of election and predestination which is taught in Romans 9 is well believed by the devil and his angels. Because they know they were predestinated to eternal torment. They understand election and predestination. They know that God is the potter and they and we are the clay. Let us not take comfort in knowing the doctrines of election and predestination because there is no comfort in knowing them as far as eternal life. The devils know them and believe them. Many men have believed the doctrine of predestination. The Muslims believe the doctrine of predestination. We are thankful to know the doctrines of election and predestination. We're thankful for Romans 9. But the spiritual grace that ought to be in our lives is more important than a few factual aspects of doctrine that are found in the ninth chapter. We should be established in the ninth chapter. And we should be living out the fifth chapter, the first five verses. It is the spiritual evidence of eternal life that's described here in these five verses. These are the blessings that can make your life fulfilled, satisfying, happy, full of joy, peace, and hope, which we have sung about, and which are all here listed as benefits that come from Jesus dying for us. It is a shame that in most churches, salvation is simply considered Fire insurance. That salvation is just being delivered from hell. God has so much more in store for His predestinated children than just delivering them from hell. Once we're delivered from hell, and we know about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ to keep us from that awful place, we should have these things in our lives because this is what He purchased for us. This is the next level, and it's a level that's many stories above bare fire insurance. Let's not end with just being saved from hell and saved to heaven. Let's have the joyful, peaceful, hopeful, happy, confident, glorious life of a true Christian. These verses describe it. Those benefits were purchased by Jesus Christ on the cross as the last verse of chapter 4 tells us, and then it lists five benefits in these five verses that we want. And then in verses 6 through 11, which we'll get to in the future, the legal salvation that Jesus Christ secured for us is again taken up. But right now we want these five blessings. The apostle opens up 
the fifth chapter with the word therefore, drawing a conclusion from having spent a chapter and a half teaching about the true means of justification or having the righteousness of God upon us. It's through the Lord Jesus Christ and the free grace of God. The first benefit that we have is found in the first verse. Therefore, being justified, since justified has been dealt with, and since we can forget justification for the moment, since it was completed by the Lord Jesus Christ, who in that last verse of the previous chapter it was said, He was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. God delivered Him to the Jews and to the Romans. He died a substitutionary death for us. He was raised from the dead. Those are completed facts. And they have been completely explained thus far by the Apostle. So he says, therefore, being justified. Since we are justified, let's move on. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace has been purchased with God so that we can live peaceful lives. Peace is the end of hostilities and strife for two antagonistic parties that were at war with each other. God was angry with us because we were sinemies and rebel enemies. And He would destroy us if it wasn't for the Lord Jesus Christ intervening between the two. But peace has been made. Look at Ephesians chapter 2 as we want to remind ourselves about this peace. Ephesians chapter 2, we can see peace purchased and peace proclaimed. Or peace preached. The Bible tells us in Romans 10.15 how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 14, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is mentioned twice in verse 13, For He is our peace, who hath made both one, that is Jews and Gentiles, into one body. There is no further distinction and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, which was the formal, outward religion given to Moses on Mount Sinai. And it goes on to describe how Jesus Christ took those commandments and nailed them to His cross. And He slayed the enmity of those commandments. In verse 17, And He came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them that were nigh. We were afar off. We were Gentiles. We weren't even close to the commonwealth of Israel, which is the description given here of that holy nation. We were afar off. Jesus Christ bought the peace, then He preached the peace. And so the first blessing is to have peace. Now there cannot be peace where there is fear. So why would you still be afraid of God? We should still fear the Lord in the sense that we do not want to displease Him And He is our loving Father, and we want to do everything we can to please Him in our lives. But why would you be afraid of Him? Peace has been made. He's at peace. You be at peace. That's the purpose of preaching the gospel. To tell you that He gave His only begotten Son. You will never give anything to make peace with Him. He gave to make peace with Him. He gave His only begotten Son. Believe it. Believe the gospel of peace. And be at peace. There cannot be peace where there's guilt. Why do you still have guilt? Jesus paid for your sins. Jesus washed them away. Where is your guilt coming from? Is it coming from the devil? He is still guilty. 
because Jesus Christ didn't pay for his sins. Don't let him throw a fiery dart at you about some past sin. You have no sin too big for the Lord Jesus Christ, nor do you have sins too many for the Lord Jesus Christ. They're under the blood of the Lamb. They're washed away. There can't be guilt and peace together in the same house. And I mean your soul and your heart. Lay down your guilt. Give it to the Lord. He took it and paid for every one of your sins. There cannot be peace with doubts. What are you still doubting about your salvation? Believe the gospel news. It's not dependent upon you. It's dependent upon God and His mercy through Jesus Christ, who did everything perfectly for us. Get rid of your doubts. Where is that doubt coming from? It is, again, a fiery dart of the devil to discourage you. And what does the Bible say when you have a fiery dart of the devil enter your mind that says, I don't know that I'm saved? Well, hold up the shield of faith that is to quench the fiery darts of the wicked. And believe by faith the promises in Scripture. Bring forth the evidence and make your calling and election sure and forget doubts. There's peace. God's made peace. He's preached peace. Why do you have fear or guilt or doubts still? Brethren, it is in the Lord Jesus Christ that you can find rest for your souls. The New Testament is to give you rest. There was no rest under the Old Testament. You just kept bringing sacrifices every year. You kept having sacrifices every morning and every evening. You kept having the Day of Atonement, the Passover Feast, the Feast of Tabernacles, all of it, every year, repeated over and over, because there truly couldn't be peace. But we have peace by one sacrifice forever. And once we have that peace for our souls, there's rest. Didn't Jesus say, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. You're bowed down with fear. You're bowed down with guilt. You're bowed down with doubts. Come unto me, all ye that labor. And are heavy laden. And I will give rest to your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. I only ask a few little things because I did the big things. I died for you. Cast off all those burdens. Don't let men put them on your backs. Don't let your foolish melancholy conscience put them on your backs. Don't let anyone put them on your backs. Believe the written record. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace. With God, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Have you been baptized upon that confession and profession of faith? And have you brought forth any good works in your life that are based upon the work of the Holy Spirit in your life? Believe. And enjoy the peace. And since God's made peace with us, let's make peace with others. Once He fills us with peace, we want to be at peace. We hate fighting. I hate strife. I hate cold wars or hot wars. It doesn't matter what kind of a war it is. War is bad. Peace is good. And it's the first blessing that we have purchased by the Lord Jesus Christ in that first verse. It's all of Him because He's the Prince of Peace. Look at John chapter 14 before we leave the subject of peace and quickly get to where we want to be today. John chapter 14. Listen to these words. Peace I leave with you. This is the ministry of the Prince of of peace. He is the king of Salem. He is the king of peace. He is Mel- made a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. John 14, 27, peace 
I leave with you. My disciples, my brethren, my friends, I am going back to heaven, but I leave peace with you. I am giving you something that I want you to have while I'm gone. This is the, one of the blessings of the gospel. This is something the world does not have. Why do they depend so much on drunkenness, drugs, dysfunction, divorce, things? They're unhappy. They strive for more and more, but it doesn't satisfy. Here is peace. Why can't the world be at peace? Because they're at war. Because of the lusts that are in their flesh. Whether it's on a national level or an individual level. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. He is the Prince of Peace. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. There is no fear, there is no worry when you have the peace that the Lord Jesus Christ wants you to have. He has finished the work of redemption. He's restored a friendly relationship with God. It's just that the war is over. God is our friend. And Jesus gives us this kind of peace. The King of Kings said, I leave and I give you peace. Let's come to Romans 5 in the second verse. Romans chapter 5 and the second verse. Oh Lord, thank you for peace. So many lives are unsettled. So many lives are disquiet. So many lives are full of worry, fear, doubt, shame, guilt. And God's taken away all those things and wants us to be at peace. I hope that you all have been at war with someone and resolved the war. And how precious it was to communicate with that person or persons that the hostilities are over. Let's forget it. Let's be back where we used to be. Let's get back where we once were, totally at peace with each other. I hate that stress and strife and tension between us. Let's have peace. God, the living God, Jehovah, the great and dreadful God of the Bible, says that through the preaching of the gospel. I have paid for it. I'm the one that provided the solution. You did not. You were still in enmity and rebellion against me. But I gave my son to take my anger away. It pleased the Lord to bruise him so that he could be at peace with us. And he preaches that to us through the gospel. So let's have that peace. Let's get rid of the doubts, fear, guilt, and shame that the devil wants us to bear because he ought to be bearing them. The second verse. By whom also we have access, by faith into this grace wherein we stand. This is the second blessing that this passage describes beyond just being saved from hell. The first one is the peace we can have in our lives. The rest that we can have in our lives. The getting rid of the burdens. The second one is the grace that we stand. And I want the grace that we presently stand in, our present state of grace that we live in. Notice that we access it by faith. If your faith is weak, the grace that you live in is an inferior state of grace to what it could be. If your faith is strong, you can enjoy a wonderful condition in this world before we get to heaven. It's based on faith. We access it by believing. 
if we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, if we believe the precious promises of the New Testament, if we believe what has been finished, then there ought to be a state of grace that we're in that's wonderful. And we access it by faith because we believe what the Bible tells us is true. It tells us how we got it. By whom also, meaning it came by the Lord Jesus Christ. The whom is Jesus Christ that was just mentioned last in the first verse. It's by Him. And there's an, there's an adverb there also, meaning that peace is not the only benefit. I want to prove to you that there are five things here. And we prove it by the adverb also. Because also means in addition to what I've already said, there's more. Also. And also there is a state of grace that we're in that's beyond peace. Peace is not enough. There's better things than peace. Peace is good. Peace is wonderful. The peace of the Lord Jesus Christ is different from the world's peace, but there's something better. It's the grace wherein we stand. It's the second of the five blessings. Justified believers have the further benefit and blessing of fellowship with God. God comes and dwells with us and walks with us, and He lives within us, and we walk with Him. He's our Father. We're His children. He receives us. We can go to Him boldly. These are part of the blessings of fellowship with God. It is a wonderful state of grace. In John chapter 14, where we just were, in the 12 or 15 verses before verse 27, it describes Jesus going to heaven and saying, Don't worry, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I will come to you. And my Father and I will make our abode with you. We will live with you. We will live inside you. It's a state of grace. They didn't have that in the Old Testament. God did not come down and live with every one of His elect. He only came down in supernatural ways on a few of His elect. They were the prophets and the priests. They were the kings that needed that special grace. But the Lord has done that because we live in a state of grace and we enter into its full blessings by believing what the Bible says about it. Fellowship with God is far more and way beyond justification. Just like friendship trumps acquittal. Which would you rather have? A judge saying, okay, you're pardoned. Or a judge saying, hey, I I loved your testimony. And listen, the records are clear. Let's have dinner tonight. The difference between those two judges is enormous. And this is God, the judge of all. And it's friendship trumping acquittal. Because it's the fellowship that we're presently in with God. The Old Testament saints couldn't have fellowship like we have fellowship. Of course David did. David had a measure of the Holy Spirit that exceeded every one of his peers. That Holy Spirit was given to him by Samuel when he was anointed to be king. He was a special man. And God had made him special his entire life. But every child of God in the New Testament can have that blessing of the Spirit of God. And we will see that clearly before we get out of these five verses. We can approach boldly the throne of grace to obtain help in time of need. Ephesians, I mean Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 10 tells us that there's a new and living way where we can go boldly into the presence of God. It's the state of grace we're in. No one could do that before. We can go boldly into God's presence because Jesus Christ has opened that way up. That's why that heavy veil was rent in twain from top to bottom in the temple in Jerusalem because the way to God was perfectly open. This is the second benefit that's way beyond fire insurance from hell. 
This is the state of grace that we're in. That we get to walk with God and go straight to Him. And when we pray to Him with our sins confessed, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we know that the great God of heaven is hearing our prayers and is eager to respond to those prayers because He is in fellowship and friendship with us through the peace secured by Jesus Christ. It is our state of grace. Look at 1 John. Wow, we went there. Let me just read it to you. Say it to you again. Behold, now are we the sons of God. Notice the word now. Behold, now are we the sons of God. There is a phase of adoption that we now have. Now are we the sons of God. When we get to heaven, the Bible told us in Romans chapter 8 that God will reveal us as His children of the whole universe. The great event that the whole universe is moving toward is God manifesting or making clear to the whole universe, men and angels, who are the children of God. That they are His adopted children. And they will spend eternity with Him. The whole universe moves toward that climactic event of God's glory and our great pleasure and privilege. But now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. Look at John separating those two things. Behold, now are we the sons of God. That's a state of grace. We're walking around in this world a son of God. If the world understood it, like I've said many times before, the paparazzi would be chasing us because they would want to interview a son of God. But it said the world doesn't know us because it didn't know him either. The Bible tells us all that. We are famous enough in heaven that if the world knew, we would be treated like the Lord Jesus Christ should have been treated. That's a state of grace. We have the house of God. We have the temple of the living God. The church of the New Testament. That's part of the state of grace. So many times they didn't have much of a place to go worship God. They had a tent for Him. Sometimes the temples were torn down. Two occasions in the Bible, Solomon's temple was torn down by the Babylonians. Zerubbabel's temple was torn down by the Romans. They didn't have a temple, but we have one. And we're in it right now at this time. That's, a, that's part of the state of grace. We've been made kings and priests to our God. That's a state of grace. Did you know that you've been made a king? Why do we get so worried that we might not get that 25 cents an hour? <laughs> we get so discouraged. We go home half suicidal because we didn't get the 25 cents an hour when we're kings and priests unto our God. Roman, Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5. Our priorities and our view get so distorted that we worry about things that do not matter instead of the things that matter. If you realize that you were a king and priest, these little things in life, and there's nothing bigger in your life than a 25 cent raise. Nothing. I'm speaking generously that even give you 25 cents. In comparison, in comparison to being a king and priest in the sight of God, we get, we get twisted. We get twisted out of shape by foolish things, and I get twisted out of shape like you get twisted out of shape. God, forgive us. Father, forgive us. We're a king and a priest. What if you lose your job? You're still a king and a priest of the living God. What if you lose your family? You're still a king and a priest 
of the living God. What if you lose your health? Amen. You get to go and be with your king as a king and priest of the living God. What can we say to these things? If God before us, who can be against us? We are more than conquerors through these things. These blessings that he's given us in this state of grace we're in is glorious. Let's go to the third one, the last part of verse 2, and rejoice in hope of the glorious of the glory of God. Verse 1 said, peace with God. Verse 2 had, the grace wherein we stand, our present blessings as the children of God, in fellowship and friendship with the God of heaven. The third one is, rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now those are wonderful words tied together. Rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Those are great words. We love to be joyful when we're just bursting with excitement and happiness and gladness. Then that's what we should be doing, rejoicing in hope of the glory of God. Someday we're going to be revealed to the universe as the children of God, as I just said a few minutes ago. That's going to happen to us, and so we ought to be rejoicing in that fact, no matter, no matter about the little things that happen down here in our families, our employment, our finances, our health, our politics, our nation, and so forth. The emphasis should be on those things, and that keeps us rejoicing. If you let them slide, you won't be rejoicing because nothing in this world is going to work out the way you want it to. Ever. Why doesn't the lawnmower start in the spring when it ran the last time you used it in the fall? Because sin has corrupted the stupid... Lawnmowers can't be stupid, but sin has corrupted it. Everything breaks down. Even my Jeep. Because it's all corruptible. But there's something that's not corruptible. This state of grace. This hope of glory. It can't be taken away. It can't be changed. It can't be modified. It'll never be altered. It is sure as the glory of God. And that is the surest thing in the universe. Is the glory of the living God. And we are in hope of that glory to share in it with Him when we are in glory along beside Him. Let's go to the third verse. Verse 3, And not only so. Wonderful words. I know I've harped on them already. I don't ever want you to forget that right here, these five verses are five of the most important verses in the epistle of Romans. We don't need a whole lot of effort to be saved from those that believe in justification by the works of the law. We see them from time to time, but we don't run into it often, and we're not tempted in that direction. But this is what we ought to emphasize. These five verses right here. And not only so, and not only so, peace, the grace wherein we stand, our rejoicing in the hope of being in the glory of God for eternity, that ain't all of it. That's what the Apostle is saying. And not only so, not just those three blessings, but there's more. This is what Jesus Christ has purchased for us by putting away our sins, guaranteeing eternal life, giving us His Holy Spirit, and purchasing a state of grace for us to live in right now. Here we come, blessing number four. And not only so, not just those three things, but these coming two things as well. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. There's that adverb again. Also. Number one, blessing. Number two, the state of grace we live in right now as the sons of God. 
Number three, rejoicing in hope of the glory of God. That is not enough. There's another one. That's why you have the word also. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. Praise the Lord. Jesus Christ has purchased grace for us. And that grace is such that we have peace and joy and hope of the glory of God. And we can walk through this world as His children, as kings and priests. He has also purchased for us the ability to glory in tribulations. What is a tribulation? A tribulation is pain, trouble, difficulty, and negative circumstances in your life. That's a tribulation. It's nothing complicated. It's a tribulation. It's something you don't really want. It, it's, it's hurtful. It's painful. It's sorrowful. It's difficult. It's hard. It's a tribulation. It's something negative. But we can glory in them. What does it mean to glory? It means to exalt. E-X-U-L-T. It means to get excited. It means to exalt in triumph. To glory is to exalt in triumph about something. And here the apostle is saying, Jesus Christ purchased for us, and this is the fourth blessing of being saved, beyond being saved from hell. It's that we can go through life where there are many tribulations. And we can exalt in triumph over them. We can glory in tribulations. This is either insane craziness, or this is one fantastic blessing of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's one or the other. And since we believe that the Bible is inspired, then we know what it is. We know it's not insane craziness to glory in tribulations. Believers who rightly know they are saved can glory and count it all joy when they face suffering, trials, and tribulations. So I can get this out of the way for your reminder. Look at James chapter 1. James chapter 1 uses very similar language to teach us the same lesson. And I want to pull them together so that you see this is not an unusual place in the Bible. We have a corresponding witness over here in James. The the, the terminology is so different from the way we think. Mother to child, why are you so unhappy? Well, nothing's going right. Or should I say, pastor to his wife, or wife to pastor. Why are you so unhappy? I'll save you children this time. What are you unhappy about? Nothing's going right. What else is new, wife should say? We live in the world. Nothing's going to go right. Except everything with the Lord Jesus Christ has gone, is going, and will go perfectly right. And it's in Him we find our happiness and glory in tribulations. But there's more to it. Let's get it. Verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy. Now that's just a Bible interpretation and explanation for the words glory in tribulations. My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into divers temptations. That's not being tempted to sin. You don't want to count it all joy when you're being tempted to sin. These temptations here are difficulties, troubles, pains, negative events, just like the tribulations. 
of Romans chapter 5. My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. There's a, the lesson is the same in both places. And here is the lesson. And before we drop this page, notice the first two words of verse 3. James 1, 3. Knowing this. The ability. The ability to count it all joy when you have negative events in your life is knowing a thing. Knowing this. That negative things are brought into your life for your development of character so that you can grow up to be a better Christian. That is why they come. And knowing this is the basis for counting it all joy. First of all, Jesus has made peace. So the peace can never be taken away even if you get your leg cut off by a chainsaw. And you come in here with a stick attached to your hip. Your sins have been put away and there's peace with God. You're rejoicing in hope of the glory of God because the glory of God is sure to you. Your your condition and your position as a child of God cannot be altered by your human body or by your family or by your job or, or by our nation's affairs. They're all settled. Now that's one reason why we can just scoff at tribulations and why we should, when we have strong faith, scoff at troubles. But there's more. And the more is in the words, knowing this. There is something you should know, and this is why we have the Word of God, and this is why the tribes repair to the house of God in order to hear the Word of God. Know this, that when God, your Father, who loves you and gave His Son to die for you, and will show the whole universe that He loves you, and He will show that He has known you by name since before He created Adam and Eve, and put your name in the book of life. That Lord that loves you that much, when He allows your front tire to hit the rear tire of someone else in front of you when you're traveling at 20 miles an hour and you fall and break your collarbone, it's because He loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Because He is a child of God and everyone sitting in here I'm addressing as a child of God. That little track about God having a wonderful plan for everybody's life is entirely false unless you understand it's His plan for His glory out of their lives. This brother over here and I have talked about this. There's not a sparrow that falls. What was the angel told that day for that ride? Angel? It might have been Gabriel. Who knows? Gabriel, I know you've kept his tire from other tires 18,376 times. And you've allowed him to get home safely, but today, that brother who needs patience less than his pastor, let his, let his tire touch the tire in front of him. And that, ever try it? One tire going the opposite direction of your tire, touching your tire, doesn't do your tire much good. And so if he tumbles and he breaks his collarbone, and we've, we've talked about it. Because here is the lesson, right here, knowing, knowing something. Come back to Romans chapter 5, and the knowledge, this is a book of revelation. This book right here tells us things that we would not otherwise know. Do you know what the world says? 
It was just a chance event. There are no chance events. You say, well, I'll make a chance event. I'm going to throw dice. Okay. Proverbs 16.33. The lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. You say, well, I'm going to use a random number generator. Go ahead. There is no chance in the universe. Our God is in charge of it. That sparrow, it just happened to reach the end of its life. But not a sparrow falls from heaven without our Heavenly Father in charge of that event. Why do things go up and things go down at times different than you think they should go up or down? Because God's in charge of all those events to teach you something. And the book called the Bible tells us about this. So when we come back to Romans chapter 5, I want you to notice two words in the middle of the third verse. Knowing that. See, there's something you need to know. And this is why we preach the Bible. It was knowing this. In James chapter 1, it's knowing that. Right here in Romans chapter 5. And those words are the key. It is true that our tribulations in this short life are a light tribulation for a moment that cannot be compared to the exceeding weight of eternal glory. Does it tell us that in the Bible? But that is not the lesson of Romans chapter 5. The lesson of Romans chapter 5, although you could make that part of the lesson of the first three verses, the first two and a half verses, we are now moving forward to something that he wants you to know. We can glory in tribulations because the intent of those tribulations and the design of the very specific tribulation that you are enduring is by your Father in heaven to help you grow up. And to be a better, more mature, godly, growing in grace Christian. And not only so, not only are the three things of the first two verses important, wonderful blessings, but there's another one. Not only so, we glory in tribulations also. Here's the fourth thing. We, in this state of grace, knowing that Jesus Christ is our Savior, and all things eternal are settled by Him, we know that we can glory in tribulations Because the only way a tribulation can get into our lives is by the faithfulness of God allowing it. Look at 1 Corinthians 10. 1 Corinthians 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Yours are not unique. They just may be in a different category at this particular time. No one in here is tempted above what someone else is being tempted. It's just different kinds, different categories at different times in their life. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. We often think, no one is going through what I'm going through. Oh, that is so selfish. Everybody is going through what you're going through. It's just a different kind at a different time. Life is full of pain and trouble. Tribulations and trials are just different. Everyone has had your temptations. Or the level of temptation. Because the Bible tells me so and I believe it. Every single word. And I don't care what my heart says about my temptations and trials. Nor do I care about what your heart says about your temptations and trials. I care what God says about your temptations and trials and my temptations and trials, that they're common to man. That's 
There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able. Yours are not unbearable, and mine are not unbearable. But will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. That is exciting news from the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that there is no temptation taken you, but where the faithfulness of God has cracked the door just a second to let a little event happen in your life. And this passage is telling us that you're supposed to know something about it. It's for your benefit. Do you want to be grow up? The Bible tells us that we should desire to grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ and to be better Christians. We want to grow up. You can't grow up with prosperity. When Jeshurun, a nickname for Israel, waxed fat, what did Jeshurun do? Kicked. In rebellion. In pride. Prosperity does not make you better. Adversity makes you better. Temptations and tribulations make you better. Glorying in tribulation is aligning yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ who endured tribulation for you. Strong faith does not get moved very much by tribulations. The Bible says, If thou faintest in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. Proverbs 24 and verse 10. The Lord brings these things to try us and to show us that we're not as strong as we thought we were, or we're not as strong as we should be. And so He brings these events into our life. Tribulation is part of your life. Acts chapter 14, I mean, Romans chapter 14 and verse 22 puts it this way. I don't want Romans 14, 22. I said it right the first time. Why did I say it the second time? Acts 14, 22 says this. Confirming the souls of the disciples. This is how Paul preached and what his purpose was. Confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith. And that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. It's just a fact of life. It's a fact of life. But when we understand that everything for our eternal existence has been taken care of by God, and everything that is happening right now to us is for our profit, we ought to count it all joy. Jesus said in John chapter 16, In the world ye shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. None of that tribulation is going to take you down because I have overcome the world. I have overcome the prince of the power of the air that's in the world. I have overcome the sin that's in the world. I have overcome the death that that reigns in this world. I have overcome it all. You're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Count it all joy. Glory in tribulations. I have overcome the world. Back to Romans chapter 5. This is not suffering like a monk or a nun. This is not masochistic love of self-inflicted pain when it says we glory in tribulations. This is not like those in Mexico that crawl on crushed glass for a mile thinking they're proving something to God. God doesn't want you to crawl on crushed glass for a mile. He's going to bless you, protect you, and keep you except for little tiny openings where He'll let his, pull His faithfulness back for little things to happen to you to make you better. And it's right here, knowing this. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. This is part of the state of grace that we are in. Since eternity is taken care of, and since God is at peace with us, we know that every negative event in our lives is not because God is angry with us. 
in any lasting way, he could be angry because he's chastening you for your sins. But I am assuming, like Paul is, that you have confessed your sins and chastening right now is, is not the front and center of this argument. The front and center is you have peace with God, so God is not angry with you. Therefore, with all that out of the way, and then learning what we now look at, there's a purpose in it all. We glory in tribulations also, knowing that. This is how we glory. We know this fact about the government of the universe and about the love of our Heavenly Father. He will not allow a sparrow to fall without His kind oversight, and He will not allow you to rub tires with a rider in front of you. He will not allow anything to happen to you except in His faithfulness. And He will always provide a way of escape. The way of escape is orthopedic surgery and six to ten weeks of recovery. And a whole bunch of grace jam-packed into them so that this poor cripple over here to my left and your right, wrote me yesterday, bouncing off the walls, because he had gone through an old sermon series on Is God the Author of Confusion, realizing he was one of the most blessed persons on earth with his arm in a sling because of the truth that God had shown him. And you know, if he's bouncing off the wall like that, and I'm at home doing this, come here, honey. You know... I know you're still doing that too, brother, but, you know, if if he's crippled up, but he's rejoicing, it's because he's looking past all that, and he knows the lesson. The Lord's going to teach him something, and the Lord gave him grace. Have you read some of his emails? Okay, you saw the grace. Lord, bring a tire again. Don't ever. He knows what to do for you. Don't ask for it. We have a brother in this church. He's too bold sometimes. His name is Mark Grimm. I don't want to use names, but I just used it. I remember many, many years ago, we were having prayer requests. Up goes his hand. Yes, Brother Mark, I want more patience in my life. My ears just burned to hear, I want more patience in my life. There's only one way God can teach you patience. Right. <laughs> You better say amen. The things that happened to him and are still happening are because there's only one way the Lord can teach you patience, and it's right here, and the Lord wants us to get a hold of this. We glory in tribulations because we know this, that tribulations work patience. Patience is not waiting a long time for something. Patience in the Bible, in this usage, is cheerfully enduring a negative event. Cheerfully enduring a negative event. And so, we glory in tribulations because we know that tribulation is teaching us patience. And we know from James that patience is a good thing, and that without patience we can't be perfect. But if we've got patience, in the Lord's opinion, we have reached perfection as a Christian. Because if you can cheerfully endure negative events in your life out of love of God and faith in Him, then you have reached a very high level. When you are basking in prosperity and you come into church and sing, Oh, how I love Jesus, you haven't proven anything to God or man. But when you say, Oh, how I love Jesus, while Rome's burning down around you, it shows that something has happened to you. 
You've reached a a higher level of Christian maturity. And we want that. Patience. The Apostle Paul learned it. Paul had a thorn in his flesh that buffeted him constantly to keep him humble about having had a vision of heaven. And he prayed to the Lord three times for that thorn, whatever that thorn was. It was a literal thorn. It was a messenger of Satan to buffet him. He prayed for the Lord to deliver him from that. And the Lord said, I'm not going to take it away, but I'm going to give you a sufficient grace for it. Because when you're weak, Paul, and I've made you weak by this thorn in your flesh, when you're weak, the weaker you are, the more I can show my strength through you. Paul said, oh Lord, now I know something. Just like we're supposed to know something. And so Paul said, therefore, if that's the truth, Lord, therefore will I rather glory, same word, in my infirmities. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Because I have the grace of Christ going through me because of this difficulty I'm going through. Because ordinarily, men do not respond with joy and glory when they're going through negative events. That is patience. We glory in tribulations through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives because we have learned a lesson of His kingdom. He is going to allow things to happen to us like happened to Him. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And He is going to allow us to have a little bit of sorrow and a little bit of grief in our lives so that we can have the fellowship. These are Bible words because I'm saving time of turning to them. The fellowship of His sufferings. You will not fully appreciate the Lord Jesus Christ until you suffer a little bit. You've got some bodily maladies. He had a few. A thousand worse than yours. You have a few financial problems or family problems or friends turning against you. He more. And so by a little bit of those things happening to us, we gain in fellowship of His sufferings. We know more about our Lord Jesus Christ. How would we know about it if we were living in the lap of luxury and ease all the days of our lives? We would not know about the life of a man who had no place to put his head. Tribulation work of patience in verse 4 tells us in patience experience. Patience experience. Repeat lessons of patience give us experience. When we learn the cheerful endurance of a tribulation once, and then we learn the cheerful endurance of another tribulation and the cheerful endurance of a third tribulation, and of course there's, they're multiplied in our lives, that becomes experience. When by our experience we learn a couple of things. Number one, even though these negative events are happening to me, I know God will give me the grace to get through them. Number two, even though I cannot see my way out right now, God has always got me out of them in the past, and He will. Amen. That's experience. I've been in these kind of, I've been in these kind of messes before. God is going to help me. He is going to take care of me from the inside out so that He'll give me sufficient grace and understanding and mercy and love in my soul that I'll be able to bear this. And He's already, He already knows the way He's going to get me out of it, though He hasn't shown it to me yet. That's experience because you've been through it before. Did David have some experience by the time he was at Ziklag? And he came home exhausted from a military campaign. And when he crested a hill and looked down on his little town of Ziklag, where his wives and children were, and the place was burned to the ground, and there wasn't a soul there, and all of his friends that were with him wanted to stone him to death because they were blaming him for the loss of all they had, 
What did David do? He encouraged himself in the Lord. How would he have done that? He would have called upon his experience in times past of God rescuing him and of God supplying him with grace to get through a situation. It says that in verse 6, that he encouraged himself in the Lord. This is what each of us need to do to be the great Christians we're supposed to be. He brings these trials to see if we'll encourage ourselves in the Lord rather than trying to encourage ourselves in a natural solution, a worldly answer. We find it in the Lord. We go first and foremost to the Lord. Next thing David did, he called upon his experience and he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to chase them down and get my family back right now? Go. I'll be with you. I don't care if we're tired. The Lord's going to help us. Men, get on your horses, and we're going. And 600 of them took off. Several hundred couldn't keep up with them because they were too tired. Just stay here and rest. We'll come back to you shortly. Because God had told him, yeah, I'll give it to you all back. Right. And he chased it down. But that was a lesson. Do you have any lessons like that in your life? Hello? Uh, no, sorry. Don't Don't say yes, Mark. Because, see, nobody's taken Tammy captive yet. You sent her to Mexico once, and she got back safely. He lost everything. But he encouraged himself in the Lord based on his experience. And every time we have one of these deliverances, how many times in this church have we talked about putting up a pile of stones to remind us of God's deliverance? Because that's what they did in Israel. But do you have a mental catalog in your head of all the times God has delivered you? It's that mental catalog in your head of the times God has delivered you by giving you the grace to cheer, the drive, the diligence to overcome it, the faith, the hope that this is going to work out. And then, oh, the Lord took it out of the way by himself. Has he ever done that? Amen, he's done it. And so that's experience. We glory in tribulations because we know this. Tribulations teach us patience. The more lessons and patience we have, the more experience we have, knowing that God is faithful. The more experience we have, the greater our hope. We can rest that everything is going to work out, that all things work together for good to them that know God. How do we learn that? It starts with tribulations. But because we're wise and God has revealed these things to us so that we know something, we know a lesson. Tribulations result in greater hope. And hope that is based on experience, that is based on patience, that is based on tribulations handled by faith, is certain. And you'll never be ashamed for that hope. Hope deferred maketh the heart sick. When you hope for something good and someone keeps it from happening to you, it makes you sick. Yeah, I've been hoping for it for three days. I've been waiting for that person to call. I've been waiting for the, my boss to call me into her office and give me a raise. You know, back to your quarter. I've been waiting. Hope deferred maketh the heart sick. There is no sickness with God. His, the hope in God is always certain. And you learn that by your experience of patience in tribulations handled by faith. And brethren, you better be listening to me because I promise you one thing on the authority of God's Word and and human experience that we all know. There are tribulations coming in your life. Flat out, they're coming. You say, I've already got too many. Oh, no, you don't. If you're saying you've got too many now, you're already giving up. Where's your faith in God? Rejoice. Listen, your life can go from bad to worse. Do you remember Job? 
He thought it was bad after the first messenger, but what happened before the first messenger could finish his message? The second messenger arrived. And before the second messenger could finish his message, what happened? The third messenger arrived. Things can get worse. He said, I don't want him to get worse. Then learn the lesson right now that I'm teaching you in glory in your tribulations. I've got my tribulations. You've got your tribulations. And everyone sitting around you has their tribulations. Here's the path of Christian development. Tribulations teach us patience. Enough lessons in patience, and we have experience that God is faithful. With that experience, we have hope that everything is always going to work out in this world and the next. And we're never ashamed because God is always true. Because our hope is based on the solid foundation of God's Word and what He just taught us. Fifth blessing is in the last half of verse 5. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. We're never going to be ashamed. We're never going to be confounded. We'll never be disappointed. If we are walking in the Holy Ghost... Because God, the Holy Spirit, God Himself, the Creator of the heavens and the earth, the Spirit of God that moved upon the face of the waters and dry land appeared, that God dwells within every child of God under the New Testament. And that God dwelling in us, if we have not grieved or quenched that Holy Spirit, sheds like a bright light the love of God abroad in our hearts, fills our hearts with the knowledge that God loves us. And if God loves us, who gives a rip about tribulations? We have peace. We have a state of grace. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Our tribulations are designed for great profitable purposes in our lives. And above all, and the end of all, God loves us. He loved you first. When somebody loves you and you love them first, you've got to wonder why they love you. Because maybe they love you just because you love them. But God loved us because He loved us first. And there was nothing lovable about us. Right. We were His enemies, but He loved us. And how much did He love us? How, how do we measure the love of God? How much did He love us? He gave His only begotten Son. So the Bible says, herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and gave His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Amen. That is love. You have never loved anyone even close to that love, and no one is ever going to love you even close to the inferior love you have for yourself and others. There's only one love that should drive us in this world. And it's not the love of a man or a woman. It's not the love of a family. It's not the love of a church. It's the love of God that is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which is given to us. In the New Testament, when you believe the gospel of Jesus Christ and obey in the waters of baptism, you receive an additional blessing and ministry of the Holy Spirit of the living God. He does not come until then. He regenerates you, but He's not there in personal fellowship yet until you believe and are baptized. And when you believe the gospel of Jesus Christ and are properly baptized, you have the ministry of the Holy Spirit. In the early days of the church... It was accompanied by spiritual gifts. After those spiritual gifts were, had finished their purpose of confirming the work of the apostles, they left. So we don't see that visible demonstration any further, any longer, for 2,000 years. But that spirit is given upon obedience. It's the seal. It's the earnest of our eternal inheritance. Many verses in the New Testament describe it as our seal 
and the earnest. It's God's down payment. It's His performance bond that everything the Bible describes that He's going to do for you is sure because He's given you His personal presence in your life. And that personal presence causes us to cry out, Abba, Father, dear Father, Daddy, Lord, I know that you love me. I know that you're my Father. Those wonderful thoughts, knowledge, feelings that we have at times are by the Spirit of the living God. The reason you do not have them more often, or the reason you do not have them right now, is because you have grieved, that is to offend. You have hurt the feelings of Almighty God. Or you have quenched the brightness of His flame in your heart so that it cannot shed abroad that love. It will not shed abroad that love because you have quenched it by loving the things of this world. Because that offends and hurts God that you love this world, which is His enemy. When you love the things of God and you love the things of heaven and you love the things of His Word and you love His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and you love to sing about it, He will fill you with His Holy Spirit and you will know the love of God. You will know God loves you. You will know God loved you first. You will know God loves you most. You will know that God will love you forever. You will know that you cannot be separated from His love. You will know that you're a child of God. You will know that you have eternal life. Every one of you should know that when you feel dull as a Christian, it is your fault, not God's fault. Nothing has changed with the living God. Something has changed with you. So go back and undo the change. Get rid of whatever is stealing your affection. And ask God to forgive you your sins, and He will restore the joy of your salvation, the strength of the Holy Spirit, upon your confession, because God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. This is the fifth, and it is a wonderful blessing. And there's so much more that could be said. Go to Ephesians chapter 3 and we end. Ephesians chapter 3, this is something you should pray for. This is something I pray for this church. This is something I hope you'll pray for me. I hope that we'll pray for this for each other. I hope we'll pray for this for ourselves. This is the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 3 taking a wonderful group of Christian saints who in chapter 1 were elected and predestinated to eternal life who in chapter 2 were quickened by the power of the Holy Spirit from a state of death in trespasses and sins, and he's praying for them for a whole other level of their existence. And I've been to this passage before, and I have preached through this phrase by phrase. But right now, listen to the glory of these words, and this is part of what God wants for his children that he has saved from hell while they're in this world. Ephesians 3 14. For this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, this is something they needed, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man. Okay? Paul, these are wonderful words. The family of God in heaven and in earth. These are fantastically glorious words. But Paul is praying that God would give these Ephesian saints, a good church at this point in their church history, 
according to the riches of His glory, strength with might by the Holy Spirit in their inner man. This is something else they needed to obtain. Verse 17, and here it is, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your faith in the gospel record of Him will cause a greater indwelling of Jesus Christ's Spirit in your inner man. That ye, being rooted, established, and grounded, established in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints. He wasn't praying just for Ephesus. What is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. My brethren, that is the goal for your life, my life, and this church. Right there in those verses. The next two verses we abuse so often by taking them out of context. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above what we ask or think. Do not use this verse primarily that God is going to get you a better job than the one you're looking for. That God is going to get you a better spouse than the one you're dreaming of. Look at this verse as answering the prayer request of 14 through 19. This high and lofty goal that I desire for you, Ephesians, now unto God, that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, though I am asking something very high, He is able to do exceeding abundantly above what I'm asking, according to the power that worketh in us. Unto Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. This is a prayer that we ought to have. This prayer is, God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, strengthen me with all might in my inner man and show me the true, full breadth of knowledge of Jesus Christ's love for me in all of its dimensions so that I will grasp how much you have loved me and how much Jesus Christ loved me and gave himself for me and let that knowledge which passes all human understanding change my life. You are able to do this. I'm asking for it. And even though it is a high and lofty petition, I know that you're able to do exceeding abundantly above what I ask or think. I want to be filled with all the fullness of God. As much of your presence as you can put inside me, I want it all. I don't want just Elijah's spirit, and I don't want just Elisha's spirit. I want to be filled with the fullness of God. That is the highest, loftiest goal for a child of God on earth in Ephesians chapter 3. And it's in a germ form in Romans 5, 5. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. That's the short version. Here's the commentary of God's Word. Let's settle for nothing less. Confess your sins, walk in the Spirit, and God is able to fill you with the fullness of God and beg for it. Let us all stand together. Our Father in heaven, we are humbled by our beloved brother Paul's glorious petition for the Ephesian saints. Our Father, we thank Thee that You have given us Your Spirit to be a seal of our eternal redemption. 
and an earnest of our inheritance. But we pray for more. Our Father in heaven, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, according to the riches of your glory and by the strength of your Holy Spirit, show us the love of Christ. Show us and teach us the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, your only begotten Son. Let us see the full dimensions of his love for us and what he has done for us and what he suffered for us and the glory that he now has to share with us when we are with him in heaven. Heavenly Father, teach us these things and fulfill this wonderful prayer and petition for Ephesus in our own lives. Let us not live the average, surviving, barely saved life of so many Christians. Fill us with the love of Christ and the knowledge of our Lord that we might have the abundant life and that your love might be shed abroad into every corner of our hearts, that all doubts and fear will be removed and full assurance will reign that we are your children and that we might be filled with your presence and walk with you and have fellowship with you in a way that we have not before. Lord, we cry unto thee with the spirit that you have given us that we want more. Now do exceeding abundantly above what we have asked or thought and show yourself to us. Show us thy glory. We pray and ask in the name of Jesus Christ to whom be glory in the church throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.